temperature in here, but it's a little stuffy to me. If, you're, if I'm not right on that, you can go hit that second switch from the right, uh, but you have to get up in front of everybody to do that. So some of you are very comfortable with that, Lexi, Andy, a few other people. Some of you may not be, so. All right. Good morning. Welcome to 2023. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with bringing that to you, but I just wanted to welcome you to 2023. Uh, I'm so thankful uh, that you showed up here today to uh, meet with the Lord through his word. Uh, I'm thankful that um, we have a place to meet uh, that we have a place to worship together. I'm thankful for uh, over 2022, 20, the people that the Lord has brought our way. Uh, I'm thankful that um, there is relative peace and um, good community amongst God's people in this church, and, uh, and that we are all relatively healthy, and uh, uh, as far as we know. And uh, able to serve the Lord. I am excited uh, because when we all woke up this morning, uh, it was God telling us that we have another opportunity to do His will, to cherish His word, and to serve Him. And as long as He keeps pumping uh, oxygen into our lungs and blood to our heart, uh, we have that opportunity. And so I hope that. Uh, if anything, today, we learn to take advantage of that and to not take that for granted. Um, I would hope today that you would look at my sermon today as uh, a pregame speech uh, given by a coach to a team um, that is about to play in a big game. Um, this is not new information. This information will not be something that's going to startle or surprise you. Um, but it is exhortative in manner, meaning that it's me uh, realizing a few things from Scripture and trying to pull you alongside me as we walk down this path of a new year. So uh, in, the, in that frame and mindset, I've titled my sermon today, Seven Practices for a Balanced and Spiritually Healthy New Year. And if this sermon turns out well, because it's seven practices, I'm going to write a book about it and call it Seven Habits for a Balanced and Spiritually Healthy Life. Um, but if it works out well, uh, I hope it works out for you. I hope it comes out to, I hope these seven practices come out to, uh, in a place that is helpful for not only 2023, but uh, for indefinitely. Um, it's crazy to say that it's 2023. I remember being uh, shortly out of high school, really in high school too, and remembering seeing the elementary students and uh, at homecoming and different things. They would have signs and they would be like, we're the class of 20, I don't even remember what the relative time was back a long time ago when I was in high school, but it always seemed so, it was probably like 20. 10. You know, it was like, we're the class of 2010. And I was like, 2010's never going to get here. That is, that's so far away. And, and now uh, my brother-in-law at his company hired, uh, he's a civil engineer. They hired a civil engineer that was born in 2005. So um, I think that's right. 
what year are we in? 2023. Yeah, they hired like a training guy that was born in 2000 and, yeah, 2005. That's what he said last night, right, Anna? Okay, just making sure because that seems still doesn't seem right. Okay, uh, I was about to finish college in 2005, and now I'm one of those old people that did that to you when you were young. I remember back in 2000. And... All right, so anyway, that was my ramble for the day, but it feels, it's 2023, but it feels just like yesterday. It was 2019, doesn't it? Um, I, I don't know if you feel the same way that I do. Normally, you're like, it was just 2022. I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but I feel like we lost a few years over the last few years. I feel like uh, COVID, one of the effects of the COVID age was not just that, you know, we lost time together, but we just lost time in general. And so it's, it's difficult, but even more poignant for us today because we look at how quickly 2022 has flown and we look at how quickly even the last few years have Flown And in a life that consists of 75 to 80 years, when time flies so quickly, it really feels just like a breath. Often we want to stop time or slow time down, but time moves so fast and, and there's really nothing we can do about it. We can only do something with today. We can't do anything about yesterday. We can't really do anything about tomorrow, although, you know, what we do right now kind of affects that. We can't really do anything about tomorrow. We can only really do something about today. Uh, last night, um, you can judge me as being a bad parent. I, I don't really care. I, I think I'm, we do a relatively good job. But last night, uh, all of my children were up at midnight with us. And uh, we all counted down uh, with the Nashville, which was cringe. I mean, it was just cringe. But with the Nashville country... Uh, countdown. Uh, they started getting ready to count down at like two minutes and they didn't have two minutes worth of stuff to fill. Uh, so it was just like, okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Anyway, it was cringe, but my kids loved it. And we counted down. And uh, at the end of the countdown, we all said, happy new year. We did our thing. I tackled BB. I pinned him in a wrestling style and I'm going to be the first one to pin you in 2023. So he goes off, at, he goes off and, and, he, and he hides. And he, I thought he was upset at me for pinning him. And he, you know, he wanted to pin me first in 2023. Uh, but when we got into his room, hopefully, Bennett, I'm sorry. I hope you're not embarrassed by this. But when we got into his room, he said, Daddy, I was sad because I'll never be able to do anything in 2022 again. I don't know why this is making me emotional. But <laughs> he said, I was sad because I'll never be able to do anything in 2022 again. And it's a great, I was already preparing to preach the sermon anyway, so it's okay, but it was a great lesson for all of us because although we can't do anything in 2022 again, we have been given 2023, Lord willing. And we have the opportunity to take every breath that we have and every bit of muscle movement we have, we have the opportunity to make it count. Even though time is, seems like it's going by so quickly, we also have been given this space and this time to do the will of the Lord. Uh, and so often we fill our lives with many substitutes. Uh, we fill our lives with things that don't have eternal significance. Uh, we spend a lot of time in work and leisure and personal pleasure. And while that's not wrong, we must look at the balance of our lives as we're trying to live spiritually healthy 
and spiritually balanced lives. So to start our year off right, I think we're going to look in Ephesians 5. Um, Ephesians 5, we're going to be in 15 through 21. And I found seven practices that I think that are good for just regular spiritual health. But in the context, we're going to say seven practices for a spiritually healthy and balanced 2023. So with another year given to history and one less remaining, it's a good time as now forever to examine the seriousness of our commitment to spiritual health. Um, over the next few weeks, you're likely to be uh, participating in diets. Uh, you might cut something out of your life or add something to your life. So I would suggest that in that time frame, you spend some time adding some spiritually healthy things to your life and cutting out some spiritually unhealthy things to your life. And we're going to look at Paul's message to the church at Ephesus and try to figure out a few that maybe would be helpful for you um, over 2023. Seven practices for a balanced and spiritually healthy new year. There's a common thread amongst all the truths that I'm going to give you that we read from Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, and that is that spiritual health is grounded and founded upon our pursuit of wisdom. Um, but I believe it's especially true with our first practice for a healthy and balanced new year. And that comes from verse 15, and it's examine your path. Examine your path. I think the first practice for a healthy and balanced 2023 is that we examine our path. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Friends, wisdom is not the accumulation of knowledge. Wisdom cannot be learned by accumulating facts about God or religion. Uh, I'm convinced that we live in the dumbest, smartest age in history. Everyone knows everything, but few people know what to do with it. And while you've heard me say this before, uh, knowing something is not the same thing as being wise, so I'll say it again. Wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge that we have been given and use it to the glory of the Lord in a way that honors Him. We have a lot of people, including myself, that know a lot of things, but sometimes we don't exactly know how to know what to do with it. If I couldn't remember how to say a word, which often happens, um, a tentative, if I couldn't remember how to spell a word, which happens often too, you could Google it and in five seconds you could find out that word. But that knowledge doesn't make you more wise than me or it wouldn't make me more wise than you. Paul actually deplores this type of wisdom. We see it, or this type of knowledge, or this type of worldly wisdom even. Um, he, it, it's wisdom that was similar to what the Greeks had at the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a rebuttal to this pagan culture, this culture of knowledge and the pursuit of quote-unquote truth and the pursuit of philosophy. He gives a rebuttal to that in 1 Corinthians when he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those 
who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Those words, are, the foolishness of God's words are only put there for our benefit. There is no foolishness found in God. But what Paul is saying is, if there was a weakness in God... The most weak part about God is stronger than the strongest part, strongest uh, provision of an earth of earthly people of people. Paul is saying in the first part of our verse today that wisdom starts by figuring out the right path. I want to tell you, friends, and this is very important. You need to examine the path that you have been heading down for all of these years. One of the worst, one of the good things about New Year, uh, New Year, and one of the worst things about a New Year is that often we are inclined to change everything, or often we are inclined to think that we're on a pretty good path and maybe change nothing. I would, I would caution you uh, as you head into a new year: don't set super lofty goals. Don't set um, these goals that you'll never reach. I would caution you to make your goals attainable. To make them reasonable. But I would also caution you to not just go into the new year thinking, well, 2022 ended pretty well. So um, let's just go into 2023 in the same manner. Something I try to do on a regular basis, uh, and uh, this is one of the things I think I do well. I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, but in a way that maybe will be helpful to you is I try to have this balance of examining my life of seeing things that I might need to remove out of my life, of testing those things over time to see if uh, that is true. I am not typically reactionary in the way I change. Now, some people might call that lazy at times, but I'm not typically reactionary in the way I change. I, if someone says there's something wrong with me, um, partly because of pride, but otherwise because I think I'm trying to examine it, I will... Take in what they say, I will examine my life around that, and if I think they're right, then I will pursue change. I think the best, one of the best things that we can do in this new year and moving forward is really examine the path that we're heading down. One of the things I've learned over the last few years is success, um, visible success does not always equal the right path. Um, making money, uh, promotions, um, the approval of others, pats on the back, they, it does not always equate to success. Uh, I'm reminded of a story, uh, and I'm not going to go into the story because it's kind of long, but a story of a man who wrote this book on, on law. He was a foreknown uh, or foreknown renowned person. Uh, see, this is one of those times you could have Googled me another word. Uh, he was a renowned person in writing law, and his son ended up being a criminal. And the judge who sentenced his son said, alas, your father won the book. He won the book of law, but he lost his son. I'm reminded of people who often think they're going down the right path and lose the most important things. I say this, I've said this to you multiple times, and I say this to Anna, and this is a sort of a thought in my mind. Uh, if Vintage Church grows to the numbers that you all expect, I mean, this is what I expect. I'm happy with this, and I'm happy with 
growth. But if the if Vintage Church grows to numbers and we reach the world and our budget's a million dollars and and uh, my children end up being uh, people that you don't want to be around and people that are terrible people, um, I, I failed. It, it's not a success story. So we need to all examine the path that we're on, even if it seems uh, successful. But that doesn't mean we make irrational decisions about that path. We examine it, we take time, we take the counsel of others, and then maybe we make necessary changes. I think the first step to having a balanced and spiritually healthy life slash new year is to examine our path. I think another is to redeem our time. Redeem your time. Look at verse 16. Yep. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There are two things we have going for us as it concerns our ability to walk in faith, and that is space and time. God has placed you here in Horn Lake, Mississippi, in DeSoto County, Mississippi, in this moment in history. He didn't place you with the first century Christians. He didn't place you somewhere around the dark ages or medieval times, but he placed you in 2023 in DeSoto County. Our problems are not the same that the church at Ephesus faced or the church at Corinth or even Paul during his life and ministry, but the solutions are the same. The solutions for making the most of our space and time are found in the Holy Scriptures. They're found in what we're going through today. Um, and we need to, as best as we can, redeem our time. The Bible says that time is a breath. The time is like a vapor. You, we've been in, we just came out of some recently cold weather. And every time you walked out, you would breathe and you would see your breath, and then it would be gone. And this is, the, this is what the Bible is ap applying to time. It's like that cold breath vapor. You see it, it's there, and it's gone. Time's, val time's value increases over time. You can't buy it back. You can't make more of it. Some people get second chances, but still it was the time that was appointed to them. As we go along, the supply of time becomes shorter and shorter. In our younger days, we had all the time in the world. As people begin to pass away and we come to terms with our own body failing, the more we see the importance of time. I promise you, if you don't feel it yet, when you start to wake up in the morning and you have to like prime your body to get out of bed by stretching and moving and getting some circulation. You might not have feel that yet, but when you start to do that, you start realizing the brevity of life and the, the uh, shortness of the time that we have on this earth. And one of the most consistent themes of the Bible is to realize the importance of time and to make the most of time. We are called to live productive and fruitful Christian lives in this space and time. And in order to make the most of our time now as opposed to later, we have to make sacrifices. 
Oftentimes, in order to redeem the time, we have to put down electronics or we have to put down a book or put down things that, although they might give us some level of dopamine pleasure, we have to put them down in order to make the best of time. Uh, some of us need to sleep a little less. That, that's been me over the Christmas break. Some of us need to sleep a little less. We need to, ha- we need to spend a little less time in leisure and maybe even a little less time at work. Um, no amount of money is going to make you more happy. Uh, no amount of personal time or leisure or pleasure is going to make you more happy, especially if you do that apart from the will of God and maybe even apart from your family. Uh, parents, uh, we definitely have to work on our mindset as it, can, as it pertains to our children. Uh, we need to see moments with our children as te- teaching opportunities, but we need to see all moments with our children, as difficult as they are, as finite moments in time. You've heard me quote Moses in saying, teach me to number my days. But this is the mindset of the one who redeems their time. The one who numbers their days. This is the mindset of the one who finds balance between things necessary to operate in a human as space and time and things that we just want to do. We need to learn to follow, to seek and follow the intangibles as, op, in oper, as, op, as it pertains to operating as a Christian. We must seek to not let time own us, but we own our time. Over the next few days, I would prefer you to, I would ask you to spend your time reflecting, spend some time reflecting on how your time is budgeted. And you need to look at every moment in your time, every moment in your time frame as a, as a sacrifice. If you choose to do this, you are not just choosing to do this regardless or without any uh, consequence, but you're choosing to do this instead of that. If you're choosing to spend time here, you are actually taking time from somewhere else. Time is sort of a zero Uh, some budget when it's over it's over we spend all of it we're given and we choose how that works out we choose how that works out you're only given a certain amount whether we think it's infinite right now or not if you're my age or older you know that it's not But you're choosing, when you choose to do something in time, you're actually sacrificing something else. I'd like you to consider that over the next few weeks as you sort of look at your life and you make plans for the year. We must not let time own us, but we own time. I've given you practices one and two for a balanced and spiritually healthy new year. I want to give you number three. Seek the will of the Lord told you these were not things that are new to you, but these are sort of exhortative. It's a pregame speech for 2023. Seek the will of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding the will of the Lord is not as easy as we might hope. As far as our day-to-day, 
It's not something we can always go to the text and find a specific and detailed answer for. Now, while I can't tell you exactly what the will of the Lord is for every moment of your life, I am completely convinced uh, where we can and can't find the will of the Lord. We can find the will of the Lord in the Holy Scriptures, and that pertains to uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can't find the will of the Lord apart from the Scriptures. While I know that when you open the Bible, it might not answer what you should, how you should react exactly in this moment, I know that you will not find the answer without opening the words of the Scripture. Do you get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? You might not be able to find the exact wording that you're looking for, but over consistent study and consistent time in the Scriptures, I promise you, you will find the principles to lead you down the right path. You will find the wisdom that you need. That's why as you grow as a Christian, certain decisions just become easier, right? You don't have to even, you, you look at people questioning certain things in their life and you're like, why is this even a question? Why is this even a question? Like this is just a, this is just easy for me. I just make this decision and I move on. I promise you that you might not find word for word everything that you need from the scriptures, but you can't find it apart from the scriptures definitively. We can find the will of the Lord in the context of the preaching of God's word. We can't find the will of the Lord disconnected from the preaching of the elders and our local church. I, promise you, I can promise you that every sermon I give might not hit home. It might not be right with you. It might not give you the feels. It might not give you that that you need for that day. It might not be what you wanted for that moment in your life. But I can promise you, you cannot find the will of the Lord outside of the context of the local church. You cannot find the will of the Lord outside of the context of the elders preaching. I'm convinced that the primary way that God speaks to us is through this moment right now. Now, the consistent way he speaks to us is when we go and dive into the word on our own. But the primary way he has chosen to teach his people throughout history is through the teaching of the elders, of the, the leaders and the elders of his faith family. We can find the will of the Lord in fervent prayer and by speaking, seeking spiritual friendship. I can promise you that every time you pray, you, your prayers might not be answered in the way that you want them. But I can promise you, your prayers will never be answered or your desires will never be answered apart from prayer. I can promise you your friends might not give you, the, your, your Christian friends, your spiritual friends might not give you every answer that you want. But I can promise you your, the things you're looking for will not be found apart from spiritual friendship. Seeking the will of the Lord can be quite challenging for everyday circumstances and life. But I have found, and I hope that you have also, that seeking the will of the Lord becomes ever increasingly more simple as I grow in these things that I just mentioned. Often challenges that are so opaque and difficult to understand for some are so transparent and discernible for you. I think this is one level of that peace that passes all understanding. As we grow in Christ, as we learn what he expects from us, we make decisions, we 
choose things in life, and we just move on. We don't say, oh my goodness, I wonder. I mean, now, there's some self-doubt there, I understand, but we don't just sit there and wonder about every decision that we make because we know that if we're trusting in the Lord, we are making a decision that is based around His will, and we can just make that decision in peace and in just mental security. The same things you battle with as a new Christian or as an immature Christian or as a Christian who had sort of fallen away are not the same things that you battle with as a mature believer. And that is because of the scriptures. That is because of the teaching of the elders. That is because of prayer and a countless host of other things God has given us to grow in faith. I would tell you that comes by our decision to sacrifice self in order to place in that position the seeking of the Lord. Seek the will of the Lord. The fourth, the fourth practice of living a balanced and spiritually healthy new year and a spiritually healthy life is be filled with the Spirit. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, while being drunk is a sin, and it disconnects us even temporarily from reality or spiritual growth, it's not the message, uh, this is not a message on partaking or not partaking alcohol. To be drunk with wine is compared here to wasting your life. It is to lose your clear conscience and clarity of thought or even the, the ability to often function normally. Drunkenness, whether physical or spiritually, causes us to lose our ability to think and act clearly. The reason being drunk is a problem is not because it embarrasses us or others um, who are around us and who expect more of us, but because when we are drunk, whether spiritually or physically, we lose the mind of Christ. You cannot be sober-minded, which is the mind of Christ, if you are not sober. It causes us to be filled with ourselves and not with the Spirit of God. Our discussions turn, uh, oftentimes can turn into fights. Our otherwise wise and level-headed mind uh, turns into a hot and uh, contentious mind that often cannot be consoled. Most of the best decisions in our life come from times of being spiritually and physically sober-minded. Most of the worst decisions in our life come from times of being physically or spiritually drunk. This is why you've never heard a sermon illustration that started off with, hold my beer. Because the most helpful truths and wise decisions come when our mind and our thoughts are clear. We need to work to remove all hindrances from being filled with the Spirit, which includes regular physical drunkenness and spiritual drunkenness. We know what physical drunkenness look like, looks like. What does spiritual drunkenness look like? Spiritual, spiritual drunkenness looks like this. Being drunk with fear. Being drunk with fear. This is basing our decisions in life on fear and not on faith and not on trust in the God who controls and orders all things. Being drunk with fear, allowing fear to control you. 
being drunk with selfishness. We cannot be sober-minded if we're only thinking about ourselves because a sober-minded person is often a person who has a mind like Christ and a mind like Christ thinks of others when we're only concerned with the way things affect us. Listen, being, this is an example of being drunk selfishly. When we are in a downward spiral of bad things happening to us, how difficult is it for us to think about others in that situation? How difficult is it for us to put others first? During that time, we're only thinking about ourselves. We're only thinking about the situation that is in front of us. This is being drunk in our spirit. Being drunk with power. This is making decisions to position yourself in the best way regardless of how it affects with regardless of how it affects others. Being drunk with power is an example of not being sober minded spiritually. Being drunk with anger. How many times have you had the inability to speak or act in love because your dr- your anger controlled you so much that it removed the inability from you to be sober minded? Being drunk with anger is being uh, is lacking sober mindedness. When we allow anger to control us, we allow our hearts and mind to be inebriated to the point where God is not in control of our tongue, God is not in control of our actions, and we most certainly cannot act in love. There are many more, but these are just a few of the ones, honestly, that I struggle with. So um, there are probably more that if you were writing the sermon, you could think of. We must work to protect ourselves as we grow to be spiritually in tune people, to be attuned to the Word of God, to the things of God, so that we are sober minded in the way that we seek God in order to be filled with the Spirit of God. When we allow anger and pride and selfishness, when we allow fear and all of these other emotions to take control of us, what we're, what we're doing is not just having a moment of temporary weakness, but we are having a moment where we kick the Holy Spirit of God out of the in, inner parts of our hearts to allow those other things to control us in that moment. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Number five of being spiritually healthy and balanced in this year is to worship collectively. Verse 19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, and then he starts discussing spiritual things that spiritually filled people do. And the first practice he teaches is they worship with each other collectively. While this surely means worshiping collectively on the Lord's day, which I think is the most important way to see this, it also means that our day-to-day life, our regular interactions with other believers should be an extension of the Lord's day. The most dangerous belief that many Christians have is the belief that the Lord's day is just our primary and even maybe our only 
day of worshiping in this way. But Paul says the best way that you can go about living a spiritually filled life is when we address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as a part of our everyday movement of life. I honestly think that you and I miss this, and I know that I do, and I assume that you do based on that, uh, as it pertains to our spiritual health. Let me ask you, and, and trust me when I say that I'm under massive conviction about this, what do your conversations with other believers look, uh, look like apart from designated church gatherings? What do your actions with other believers look like apart from designated church gatherings, apart from the Lord's, Day, uh, the Lord's Day gathering, apart from missional community gatherings? What do they look like? How do you address your fellow church partners in social gatherings and normal life? Is your conversation filled with questions about work and life, or, or are we addressing spiritual truths and actions Mixed in with that. Now, it's not a problem to talk about work and life. It's not a problem to talk about sports and other things. As a matter of fact, I would say, if you see that as a problem, you're missing the point. I would say it's a problem when those things, we are unable to make those things a part of our spiritual talk. It's not just a problem when we compartmentalize our church and our spiritual life. It's a problem when we compartmentalize our work life and our leisure life and our, and our social life and are unable to break the, break the force field that is causing them, those things, to be separated. As a matter of fact, it's not a problem that you love sports. It's not a problem that you love hunting. It's, a, it's not a problem that you love your job. It's a problem when you are unable to intertwine your spiritual life with those things. It's a problem when they become, when these things that I mentioned and more become more of the topic of conversation than how they affect us as spiritual beings. Is your conversation when you meet other church partners and Christians outside of this context, is your conversation about others, what they did or didn't do, or is it filled with spiritual truth and actions? Do you know what gossip and you know why gossip and slander are so bad? One, because they hurt other Christians. Do you know why else? They hurt other Christians, but gossip and slander are so bad. Because it's an expression of where your heart truly is. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we think about what we say about others, when we think about how we think about others apart from a church gathering context, when we think about our conversation with others outside of the church context, what does the overflow of your heart say or what does the mouth, what does your mouth say about the overflow of your heart? Does it greet other Christians with spiritual truths and wisdom or with only personal words and gossip and slander? The Bible says that the tongue is the rudder of the ship and that out of it comes blessing and cursing. I want to tell you, friends, 
the direction of your ship in 2023 is going to be predicated on what you do in all of your life. What spiritual actions you take in all of your life and not just what you do on Sunday morning. Not just what you do in missional community gathering. It's what you do when no one's around. And it's what you do when there is no expectation of a spiritual gathering. You understand what I'm saying? We need some Christians who make, not in a weird way, you know, I'm not going to start naming out ways that people do it in a weird way, but we need some Christians who make regular gatherings, regular gatherings, regular friendship interactions, spiritual interactions. I mean, people need to think you're a little weird for it, honestly. I, I take that back. People need to think you're a little weird for it. People need to also look at them. People need to also look at you and say, "Man, this person is definitely concerned about me." And the best way to do that is to be spiritual people, who, in your own way, and in some ways this way, our lives greet each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs outside of the context of the local church gathering. There's two more really quick ones. Number six and seven, count your blessings. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances, friends, in all circumstances of your life, not thanking God for good things only, but also for our difficult circumstances. One of the signs of a spiritually mature and a spiritually active person is they have the ability to, at some point, Thank God for the difficult circumstances of their life. One of the signs of a spiritually immature person is the person who only has the ability to thank God for the good times in their life. Is the person who only has the ability to thank God or give credit to God when good things happen, but not give credit to God in a good way when bad things happen. There is a condition to giving thanks here. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't give thanks to God for the results of sinful actions. We don't give thanks to God for ill-gotten gain or things that we did not earn in an honorable and godly manner. We give thanks to God for how he works through us and through the gifts of this world. We need to be more thankful people this year and moving forward. We need to be more grateful. I won't, I don't think it's true about me always, or maybe not even often, but I want people, when I die, I want people to say about me, one thing I want them to say is that I was a person of gratitude, that I was a person who was thankful. I want to be that person so badly, and I don't think it's always true. I think it's sometimes true. The harder life gets, the less true it is for me. But I want people to say about me that I was a person who was thankful for the things that God has get, had God had given had given him. Here's some helpful ways I think you can be more thankful. Stop looking at circumstances as curses. Stop looking at circumstances as curses and look at your circumstances as things that God has given you to grow you or to bless you or probably and to bless you. 
Stop looking at circumstances as curses. Stop acting as if bad things only happen to you. It's a very selfish way of looking at things to look at the bad things in your life and think, no one has ever gone through this before. No one has ever experienced this before. Friends, I want to tell you, there's only so many things that can happen. I mean, now Florida people surprise me every day. But there's only so many things that can happen to people in this world that someone else hasn't already been through. Now what we go through might be extremely difficult. And it might be excruciating. And it might be something that few people have gone through. But you are not the only one that has experienced the circumstances of your life. So stop acting like that. One way to be thankful is to stop acting like the bad things that happen only happen to you. The only route that that leads to when you think the bad things that are happening only happen to you, the only route that that leads to is a pity party. It doesn't lead to growing in faith. Stop looking at circumstances as curses. Stop acting as if bad things only happen to you. Start looking for God's work in all things, good and bad. When we assume that the circumstances of our life, whether good or bad, are just things that are happening to us, we assume God out of the equation. But when we understand that all things happen for his good, then we bring him back into the equation and we start working to see how he is working in those things. Stop looking at circumstances as curses. Stop acting, acting as if bad things only happen to you. Start looking for God's work in all things good and bad and then give praise to God in all things. As hard as it is, in the good and the bad, we ought to praise God. As hard as it is. Um, Paul says, in the good and the bad things of our life, in all, in all things, in everything, we give praise to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that in all of those things, he has worked and is working his sovereign will out in our lives. The last thing I want to give you, and I think it's not the most important, but it might be the most important for Christians in our context. Put others first. Put others first. When I was a child, I never forgot this, and you probably heard this too. When I was a child, I learned that the path to joy was Jesus, others, and you. And that is something that has stuck with me for most of my life. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. So not only giving thanks because of Christ, but submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband as the church does to Christ. Husbands, love your wives in a way that submits to your family and not work and extra activities. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Church, be submissive to your elders for they are keeping watch over your soul. These are all Bible verses. These are not just things that the patriarchy taught us. Okay, Church, be submissive to your elders for they are keeping watch over your soul. We can truly submit to others when we put others first. Wives, you are to put your husbands first by being keepers at home, by raising a new generation of Christians, and making your home a place where your husband wants to be when he comes home. Husbands, you are to put your wife First, by being at home when you can and as often as you can, by taking the burden of the house and the children off of her as often as you can, by not planning a second life outside of your family. 
This is collective love and submission to each other. Wives, you're pl- you're, if, you are, if you live at home, I mean, if you work at home, work from home, if you raise your children from home, your house should be clean. It should be a place that your husband wants to come to. It should be a place that you thrive in. Clean is also a relative term. It's what you have, it's sort of under the terms that you have discussed. If your husband says clothes can be on the ground, but the sink needs to be clean, the sink needs to be clean and clothes can be on the ground. That's just the way it works. It doesn't all have to look like, you know, somebody with a type A personality's house. Husbands, you need to desire to be at home with your wife. Listen, I want to tell you, even we as, this is not homeschool church, but there's a lot of homeschool people in here. Even we as homeschooling parents are failing a little bit because in, throughout all of history, the family would have spent the, mo- the majority of the day together and not with a husband working outside of the house. That's not how it would have worked. Now, our lives are better in many ways because we're able to go and work. But we as husbands need to be convicted, especially if we are not at the house often, of being back at our house as soon as we have the opportunity. Because husbands and wives and children historically would have worked together over the vast majority of people. Day in and day out, they would have worked together. They would have been together. The husband would have modeled a work ethic for their children. The wives for their sons and their, and their daughters. The wives would have modeled a work ethic for their daughters and sons. And there would have been all of this discipleship and interaction. Even homeschooling parents are behind the curve as it pertains to what, how history has been played out. Children, you need to put your, far- your parents first by obeying them and making sure it is easy as possible to be your parent. This may not, other children may not hear this, but older children that are listening, you need to hear this. You're, you need to make it as best as you can, as, as best as you can within your little heart and your little brain, you need to make it a joy for your parents to be your parents. I'm not just saying this to my children either. You need to make it a joy for your parents to be your parents. If When your heart and your brain says make it difficult on them, you need to realize they have it difficult enough. You need to listen. You need to obey as much as you can. Not because it makes your parents happy. Not because it gets you out of trouble. But because it honors Jesus Christ. Christians, you're to put the church first. Above all leisure activities, above all family activities, you are to put the church first. I believe that, and it's true, and you're wrong if you disagree. You need to put the church first above all leisure activities, above all family activities. As a matter of fact, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If your family plans things around your church gatherings, you need to stop going to your family gatherings. You need to stop going to your family gatherings and then they will realize that the church is important to you and they'll start planning family gatherings around you. That may sound selfish, but it's just Christian. 
Our family stopped planning gatherings around us if they wanted to be there. And if they continued to plan them around church things, we assumed that they didn't want to be there, so we didn't go. They didn't want us to be there, so we don't go. Now, I know that there are exceptions to this. There's vacation. There's special events that you can't get out of, different things like that. But if you, what message are you giving if you continue to go to family events that are not, that are just normal events, birthdays, different things like that, those are normal events. If you continue to go to those and sacrifice gathering with the body of Christ, what message are you setting, what message are you setting to your family? You're telling them that whatever they have is more important than what you've got going on in the body of Christ. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good precedent to set with your children, and I don't think it's a good precedent to set with your family. It's a way to honor your family and be a godly example by choosing Christ and choosing the church over these normal, everyday life events. These are just a few ways that we can submit to one another. But why do we do it? Because it honors Christ. When a wife submits to her husband, even if her husband is not being the exact man he needs to be, because he never will be, when a wife submits to her husband, she honors Christ. When a husband submits to his family instead of other things, when he belongs to his family, when he's present with his family, I'm massively convicted about this. I'm not just saying this for you. I'm saying this for me. He honors Christ. When children obey their parents, they honor Christ. When we submit to the church, we honor Christ. While 2023 will be filled with new challenges and victories, while things might not go exactly how we expect and some things will, we have a roadmap to, spiritually, to a spiritually balanced and healthy new year. Examine your path, redeem your time, seek the will of the Lord, be filled with the Spirit, worship collectively, count your blessings, and put other people first. Pray with me. God, we love you. We praise you. We're honored to be a part of this fellowship today to get the opportunity to worship under the preaching of the anointing of the word of God. We pray that it takes full effect in our life, that it causes us to change and grow to be more like you. Lord, make us stronger and more fruitful image bearers of Christ Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.